the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost. I am Mohammed Nala of MoKnows.com. Mo is one of the most respected macro analysts to come out of South Africa. He is now in Canada, so we get his global perspective layered on top of emerging markets expertise. Together, we will unpack the biggest trends and issues and scratch beneath the surface to bring you our insights and share our love and passion for markets and investments. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor. Welcome to Magic Markets. Welcome to episode 30 of Magic Markets, and it's a, a milestone show, but unfortunately, Mohamed Nala, who, as all of you know, has co-hosted the show with me from the very beginning, is not here this week. Uh, as we alluded to in last week's show, he unfortunately was uh, struggling with a member of the family who was uh, fighting COVID, and very sadly, that battle was lost. So Mo has taken the week off just to obviously deal with personal stuff and, and we certainly give him our condolences and I mean he's a friend of mine so a lot of condolences and, and my heart goes out to him from our side as well and I know a lot of our listeners have really gotten to know him through this process so Mo I know you'll be listening to this at some point and I uh, hope everything's okay and that we, we do a good job in your absence so the show must go on and don't worry you won't be forced to listen to my voice for the next 20 minutes because uh, then you'll all turn it off so luckily I've brought another international person to the show we've lost our South African in Canada but we have gained an Irishman who has lived in Australia and now lives in South Africa which means he has no idea who to support in the Rugby World Cup and uh, he also brings a whole lot of international experience and perspective to the world so Mark Tobin welcome to the show thank you so much for being on it course it's a pleasure to be here yeah i'd just like to pass on my condolences to mo and his family uh it's uh yeah it's been a very difficult year for a lot of people i don't think there's anybody who hasn't been uh, uh, affected not just by the lockdown measures but i think of people who have passed away in the last year that they know either through friends of friends or uh, uh, in mo's case yeah real immediate family it's uh it's been a very very tough 12 or 15 months for everyone but i'm hoping the we seem to be the the light seems to be appearing at the end of the tunnel thankfully yep hopefully so so at least it has been an interesting year in the markets against this horrible backdrop it's been a crazy year in the markets i think uh, for all of us and mark what's so interesting about you is that your main area of interest as i understand it is the australian market and i think it would be really interesting you know just for a couple of minutes for our listeners just your background of how you've ended up living in stellenbosch writing about Australian stocks, as I say, born in Ireland, you know, just the quick overview of how this has all happened and why is Australia so interesting to you? Yeah, I'll try and give you the quick kind of two-minute overview. So yeah, so born, grew up in rural Ireland, big farming community, went to university, uh, ended up getting a, a master's in economics. Halfway through my master's, decided I didn't want to be an economist. Fell into back office fund accounting role in Ireland. You know, quite enjoyed that. Was I, you know, I had enjoyed accounting and finance and doing a lot of, you know, stuff around options and futures and international equities and currency trading. And, you know, not the the front end the exciting end but the back end of it and you know i thought it was really exciting just trying to understand the strategies of the funds we were kind of doing the accounts for and yeah my kind of partner at the firm said you know if you should think about doing the ca exams so i ended up doing those and uh, yeah then the financial crisis hit and i 
left uh, I just finished my CA article so I like okay this thing is like blowing up there's no chance of finding another job for a while so I kind of a bit of money saved up and yeah I went traveling for a bit ended up in Australia yeah just worked a few CA jobs there and uh, things were looking up a bit better and went to London then did a few years in London working for a few different hedge funds kind of in the back office but more moving towards the front office in London and you know getting I was kind of a a front office assistant to one of the teams and you know getting more of a taste for that the the front end of the of the operations and then yeah I was like okay the northern hemisphere Dublin slash London weather is like not as good as Sydney and I said okay I'm going to go back to Sydney so I left London but fortunately I'd acquired some excess baggage in the form of a little South African bucky. So I brought her with me to Australia. And yeah, we lived in Australia for five and a half years. I got a equity analyst job at a what was then a small boutique asset management firm uh, who kind of specialized in ASX small caps. They've since kind of grown and expanded and have kind of a full offering now of international large cap, small cap, micro cap, alternative assets, private equity. And then, yeah, we... Uh, got married, fell pregnant with twins on our honeymoon. We were like, okay, we need, uh, at this point, we were now living in Singapore. My wife got a promotion from her job. So we were in Singapore for a while and we were like, okay, it's neither close to my family nor it's close to my wife's family. And yeah, the weather in South Africa and being close to family, we got us back here and we ended up in Stellenbosch for the last kind of five and a half years. And yeah, really, really enjoying it, loving it actually. Yeah, it's a great place to live. That's a great story. You truly have a lot of international perspective. And it's so funny with an Irish, I've never heard anyone with an Irish accent say Bucky. And it almost sounds like Bucky, which um, she won't appreciate as much as Bucky. So when she listens to the show, yeah, you'll my, have to explain, to, disclaim that one away. Yeah, I need to still <laughs> practice rolling my, uh, my R's. My, uh, I'm a Lear African, Bicky Bicky, but I'm, I'm getting there slowly but surely. It sounds like you're getting there. So let's talk stocks because this is a this is a magic market show at the end of the day, or at least markets. So Australia, um, most South Africans, when they research Australia, they are looking for visas and how to immigrate there as opposed to how to invest there. That's kind of the more usual website search. Uh, that's not what you do. What you do is look at the stocks there. And I think it would be great to understand just at a macro level in Australia, what are the kind of really big sectors and I know you focus on on smaller cap companies, but just as a lay of the land, what is the what are the big drivers in Australia? What are the big sectors that are, are propelling that economy forward? Yeah, so I think I mean uh, Australia to kind of contrast it to the JSE, you know, there's kind of two thousand odd stocks listed there, you know, versus the JSE, you know, well it's getting smaller by the day, so we're around whatever three hundred at the minute. As you would imagine, you know, resources is a big sector. Um, like it, I kind of maybe was back in South Africa's heyday. It's still a very big sector in uh, in Australia with uh, the the iron ore miners, but you've also got coal miners, gas, gold. Uh, you know, nickel is becoming a, a quite a big sector in itself uh, these days. Uh, we haven't got like a big nickel miner like a like a Rio or or a Fortescue, but you know, there's a lot of up and coming nickel miners. I would say in Australia is one. The banks are also a very big part of the market there. There's kind of four big banks there, basically uh, a mini oligopoly. Um, and with the housing market, I think that's the other thing people would, South Africans might know, they're like crazy prices for housing in Australia. And I mean, a strong housing market is very good for the banks because, you know, there's lots of lending going on and decent lending because 
it's at you know home loan price level so you know you're not talking about a, a 10,000 rand credit card you're talking about you know millions of rands for you know first homes investment properties so that's quite a quite a big space and more recently a very big driver has been a, an infrastructure boom that's going on right across Australia, which kind of started pre-COVID, but has really kind of helped uh, keep the economy going um, over this like kind of last year. You know, they've put more money into this infrastructure thing. So up until about 2015, just to give you the context, it was very hard to get any infrastructure projects done in, in Australia because you could never get the, all the governments to agree. So there's, you know, national government at the federal level, the state government, and then let's say the big cities like City of Sydney, Melbourne, Perth, whoever, who's going to pay what to like do these? Everybody agreed that, you know, we need more rail, more this, more that, upgrades of national roads, but who's going to pay what? Anyway, a kind of a landmark agreement was reached around 2014-15 that said, okay, the federal government's going to chip in this, state governments are going to chip in this, and where it falls onto the bigger cities, they're going to pay this. And since then, there has just been a massive... Like, the last time I was in Sydney, the amount of new um, subway stations that are going up um, is, like, the most in 20 years. They've put in a whole, like, rail system... And that is, you know, just flow over effects into domestic economy. So like retail has been really going really well lately. Um, but I would say they're the kind of three big three. It's like the main banks, the big financials, resources, as always. Technology is coming in there. Um, but, you know, it's it's still hard to say that, you know, you could have a, a global Australian one. I mean, Atlassian people would know as an Australian company, but decided not to list on the ASX. And I think it, it, it was a wise decision because I think it would have been a bit like a, a Nuspass story in the JSC, you know, it would have been the biggest and, and by a wide margin, the largest technology stock um, in the ASX if it had have listed there. And it would have been a real outlier in terms of sector exposures and stuff. So resources, finance are, and now it's stuff related to infrastructure in, in more recent times. Super interesting. It's amazing how some things are just so similar. To South Africa in some ways, you know, four big banks. Uh, we know that mining's big in Australia. That they could have had potentially this oversized technology firm, and we all know what's going on with the Nasdaq process at the moment and all the fire that they are coming under. At the end of the day, interesting. You mentioned retail. I mean, I know that market's hyper competitive. A bunch of South African businesses have been smashed in Australia. Um, you know, and it takes years to recover from from bad deals. And obviously, Woolworths is the example, sort of front and center with David Jones. Uh, you know, it's just interesting to see what these what these drivers are in these other markets. But your interest is in the smaller caps, as I understand it. And are there specific sectors that you look at within that space? Or are you happy to look at anything that is, you know, small and interesting? Yeah, so I don't generally look at the kind of small resources names, of which there are a lot. Uh, and biotechnology as well is... Um, is another one where it's a decent sized sector in the small caps, which I also kind of stay clear of. Uh, Australia's got a very uh, favorable regulatory environment for clinical trials and kind of drug development, medical device development. Uh, there's a lot of money within the university research space for, for that kind of uh, stuff, which is, you know, has a long history of government and kind of third level uh, sector support so you get a lot of weirdly enough like american companies who end up with a u.s uh, a u.s company with an asx listing that's kind of focused in some kind of 
biotechnology set up you know there's good like kind of r&d tax credits that you can get and uh, so i, I stay stay clear of those primarily because you know as we all know valuing a company is is hard at the best of times but you know these junior resources and biotechnology ones you know you don't even have the first line the first line the profit and loss statement you know it's like zero revenue i mean i find it hard to come to a, a sensible valuation when you've you know you've got dividends and profits coming out the bottom end i, I really struggle to figure out how, how you do it when you don't even have the top line the pnl you need something um, to apply multiple two <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah exactly um Although you know you could say it's uh, it's could be a fraction or a percentage of the TAM if they ever get this thing. When the, when the, when the first column of your DCF is blank, then you know you are in dangerous territory. <laughs> so I then focus on what I call like industrial stocks, but it's quite a broad catch-all term for you know small financials, media companies, technology companies, hardcore industrial products, or or, or engineering-based businesses, um, small retail niche retailers. Um, you know, it's right. We're kind of right across the board, and yeah, it's uh, it's 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 got a you know the 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 top two three hundred names in Australia, uh, you know, kind of dominate, and then but there's you know a long tail there. As I said, there's like two thousand one hundred odd or whatever. So you've got you know, I would say you know fifteen to sixteen hundred names in that kind of small to micro cap universe, depending on what you call a micro cap, what you call a small cap, that you know leaves lots of interesting names to look at and you know that's my one of my favorite parts of equity analysis you know you just learn so much every day about different companies in different sectors and you know you're not ever going to be a a specialist but it's it's interesting to to kind of learn at least at a very you know high level you know the drivers and and what the players and you know what's going on in in all of these like different sectors yeah absolutely the small cap space is so interesting because that's where the market is at its most inefficient and where if you can get it right you can make quite incredible returns and obviously if you get it wrong you can get hurt uh risk and reward is uh, of course uh, applicable strongly in the small cap space i only know of one inward listed Australian company on the JSE, which is the old Investec property fund, which is now called Iron Gate. And don't worry, uh, listeners, if you are now wondering how you missed that news, it was at the end of last year and there was a lot going on in the market that it kind of rebranded. And I think it did it quite quietly because I was so much sad and picked it up at the time. Um, but they've just actually raised 50 million Australian dollars on the JSE. Uh, in a fully underwritten accelerated book build, they had no problem raising the money. So there's still good appetite here for offshore property funds, which is obviously just local retirement funds looking for diversification offshore. You know, they love chasing offshore property funds. But outside of that inward listed example, I mean, there are some South African companies that have subsidiaries there. But ultimately, you know, what you're looking at would require people to actually go and trade directly on the Australian market. How many South Africans are doing that? Uh, to your knowledge and what sort of platforms are they using to access those stocks over there yeah so i mean easy equities you can do you know the kind of top 300 uh, australian names uh, on there and a bit kind of different to maybe uh, the uk market where you know you've got the FTSE for the bigger names and then the the aim market for the the smaller microcap names in australia it's literally one board from the from the biggest to the smallest they're all listed on the one exchange but even at the bottom end of the of the three hundred, you're getting into you know smaller smaller names that definitely would be off the radar of kind of you know definitely South African investors, but even some of the retail investors in Australia, because you know when you've got 
over 2,000. It's hard to keep track of every name and every story. Whereas on the JSC, like I find most people, they have a fair inkling of, you know, if you throw out a name, um, yeah, they do such and such. You know, they, they at least have a, a rough idea of what the, the businesses uh, are involved in. But you, you can name some stocks on the, on the ASX and people will be like, I've never heard of it. Uh, and these are people who are, you know, kind of, you know, actively investing um, in in the ASX uh, themselves. And that's a, another structural uh, thing to point out about Australia is um, it's got one of the highest share owner, uh, retail share ownerships in, in the world. The last stuff I saw from the ASX was, you know, 46% of Australians uh, are direct shareholders in ASX companies um, outside of, you know, having stuff in your RA or the, the Australian equivalent of your... Uh, of an RA so you know that's not far behind the states the last time I saw the states I think it was 55% of Americans are you know have a share trading account with whoever Charles Schwab or TD Ameritrade or whoever. That's incredible it also tells you something about the spread in the Australian economy because I know there's a lot of small businesses in that economy you know it's something that we really lack here so there are a lot of, a lot more people who are sort of middle class and upper middle class who are starting to be able to afford to invest and chase wealth on the stock exchange ultimately. So I guess that assists liquidity quite a lot in the smaller end of the market versus South Africa where we have some incredibly illiquid small caps or do you still get those companies in Australia that just have flatline share price graphs and, and never trade? Yeah, I, I, I would say liquidity on the whole is probably better in, a, in Australia in the small cap market. Um, you also have a very uh, pretty well-developed small and micro-cap institutional space, which is you know sadly lacking in the in uh, the South African and is actually you know kind of getting smaller. You know, there's it's, there's less funds, dedicated small cap funds um, in South Africa these days. So you know, with that institutional market there, you know that dr- kind of drives liquidity and. Then the just the high numbers of retail shareholders, you know, also drives liquidity. I mean, as they say in Australia, I don't know if it's a term they use here. I haven't heard anybody use it, but you know, stocks that trade by appointment. There's definitely still stocks that trade by appointment in Australia. But I would say on the whole, for your average retail investor, you know, liquidity isn't really a major issue. At institutional level, yeah, for risk management and stuff, it, it it's definitely something that they would manage um but you know it's not the, a, a major concern you can always kind of find liquidity it's just about finding where the stock lives it's just having a good network of brokers that you know they can find somebody who potentially you know wants to sell a line or is looking to offload a small block trade or you know whatever or if, or if they are looking to sell that you know you're on the top of the list to you know to get a call to say that you know you're interested um, that's a bit more at the institutional level, but yeah, liquidity is definitely better than the the um, the JSE small cap. Interestingly enough, I heard the saying "trade by appointment" for the first time, but two weeks ago. So uh, it's so funny that you mention it because I hadn't heard it before. Then it's not common in the South African market, and it's a great term. <laughs> I think it explains so much about the challenge. Yeah, I think so it, yeah, it, it it neatly encapsulates. Um, the, the scenario you would find yourself in. Yes, 100% agree with that. And the lack of institutions playing in the small cap space in this country is a direct result, I think, of liquidity because they can they struggle to build positions and then get out of them. And uh, it's, just a, it's just a broader issue, which hopefully a business like Easy Equities is starting to address. 
The JSC is struggling to hang on to smaller listings, as you've alluded to. It's almost feels like almost every week we're dealing with another delisting or another buyout or another whatever the situation is. And it's a problem. And I'm not sure how the JSC turns the tide on that because I think a lot of private companies are just changing hands in the private equity space now in South Africa. Entrepreneurs are taking their money, they're leaving. I think there's a, there's a much bigger social reality that the JSC has to operate in. But clearly in Australia, they're doing something right in terms of having all these small caps. And I guess maybe it's just the profile of the economy and the spread of wealth. You know, do you think that's a fair statement? You know, with the ASX having such a large number of small cap listings that, you know, the it's a viable option for companies when they're looking for growth capital. You know, I would say definitely venture capital and private equity have made their presence felt for, you know, those kind of startup private companies in Australia where, you know, they're coming to market maybe a bit later in their development than maybe it was five years ago. Again, a function of kind of basically zero interest rates, which is the kind of standard in Australia now as it is in kind of most developed markets. And um, they kind of were lagging a bit uh, of the developed markets, you know, when the US was zero to a half, they were maybe like two to like one and a half. But now they've also come back down, they've down to zero to same as most developed markets. But, you know, at the private company, they've got a good option set in front of them. You know, they can go to venture capital, private equity or the listed market. And there's just, you know, pros and cons of each. Obviously, you know, who's going to give you the, the higher valuation is a, a major one. But it's also, you know, having the ASX listing, you know, it gives you that public face. It gives you a bit more maybe credence with suppliers with customers to you know get deals done the fact that you're listed um you know makes it easier for to retain staff and you know options and and all all of that kind of stuff um plays into it um so i think yeah in the south african context you know with valuations in the small end being so low that you know it's kind of like it's a non-starter for a lot of them because you can get higher valuations in a private equity space. And it's like, you know, you, you, can't, you can't do a fair comparison because you're behind the eight ball on a valuation basis if you go listed from day one. Um, so I think, you know, it's a major problem for the JSC. It is a major, major problem. And I'm not sure how, you know, um, the new CEO is going to solve it. I know they've done this whole China uh, partnership um, and they look, you know, they do look to be trying to do something and trying to resolve it. But I mean, it is, is a major problem because it, it's a it's a trend that doesn't seem to be changing. And if anything, it seems to be accelerating and you're going to end up being left with maybe, you know, dare I say it in in years time, you might be just left with the top 100. And, you know, if, if, if you're not going to IPO and come to market in the JSE with a you know, market cap of, let's say, over 10 billion rand, there, there's no point because there is no lower end. You, you just it's mid cap and up, um, which is which would be sad because you know you know stock markets globally you you have that kind of spread from the the large right down to the small and you know that's what you know it 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 makes and enriches the whole market. The fact that people can choose you know stocks from different sectors but also from different market caps for putting together a portfolio. So. Um, it, it, it is a concern. I mean, I often say to people, I mean, I say, you know, tell me the last like IPO, real IPO on the JSC that wasn't a spin out from another business. And, you know, you, you, you struggle to think you'd have to. I think I don't think there's hardly even been one since I've been here. 
That's five years ago. This game would be the one that comes to mind. I mean, other than that, there's not there's not a lot. Yeah. I mean, console glass just gave up. They were going to come to market, and there was just no interest <laughs> in the private equity yeah. investors trying to get out of that. You're right. It's it's minimal. I mean, at one point, the property funds were raising capital like mad. I don't know if you were in South Africa at that time. That was kind of 2015, 2016. They were going nuts, and there were just acquisitions being done all over the JSC. And it's it's slowed down drastically since then. And a lot of those companies that did major acquisitions, their share prices have been on a five-year downward spiral because they're overpaid. And, you know, it, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a variety of issues. And at the end of the day, we need a vibrant small caps world in South Africa the way it seems to exist in Australia. But getting back to Oz, and there's one more thing that I want to ask you, which I think just gives our listeners context when they look at Australian companies. So in South Africa, as you've correctly pointed out, you know, our valuation multiples on the JSE sometimes are are shockingly low and the value investors get excited about that. But obviously, you know, for every stock that kind of unwinds that that multiple property, you know, there's another one that becomes a value trap for the next 10 years. And and you've seen PE ratios five, six, seven among the smaller companies on the JSE. You know, a lot of JSE companies will pay a dividend yield of around two, two and a half percent. The JSE itself will kind of do twelve or thirteen percent in a normal year. Just from an Australian perspective, what are the sort of equivalents to those sort of numbers? You know, what is a typical dividend yield? Because obviously it's a low interest rate environment. So for South Africans looking at it, what does a divi yield usually look like? What is a kind of equity risk premium people are happy to take? And what are the sort of multiples that these small caps are trading at? Weirdly enough, um, the yield on the Australian market full stop is actually pretty high. You know, it's close to 4%. You know, even if you take the top 200, low interest rates have have driven up the demand for yield and you know the market is generally kind of try to keep it around at four percent on a PE basis you know the market historically is traded around 15 that's about the kind of average PE for the market it's currently up around like kind of 19 or 20 after this big run we've had in the last kind of 15 months so I would say by historical standards things are expensive now we've had a bit of a correction in the last month or two things have come back down I'm starting to see a bit more value in the market but like yeah kind of around March I was like it's hard to find anything that looks interesting or hasn't had a super big run and that's tapering off but yeah I would say a better than average global yield would be one thing to look at you know it's kind of close to four percent rather than that two and a half you see in the US or JSC maybe it really incentivizes company from a capital management point of view to pay out dividends and because they know it'll attract uh, a really substantial uh, shareholder base. Fascinating. Mark, thank you. I, I think that's pretty much what we have time for today. And I really appreciate your time on the show. Uh, from your side, if people would like to find out more about that Australian market, follow you, read some of your work in this space, you know, how, do, how do they find you? How do they do that? Yeah, so the business I run is called Coffee Microcaps. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. The handle is uh, C Microcaps. That's probably the best way to reach out to me on the Australian stuff. Uh, and yeah, happy to chat. I love to. I love uh, talking stocks. That's why I call my business Coffee Microcaps. You know, grab a coffee, chat over an interesting microcap stock or whatever. So yeah, uh, DMs are open on my Twitter profile. So happy to chat to to anybody if they're ever looking at anything in Australia. It, it'll be it'd be great to uh, connect with a few more people who've got an interest this side uh, on things the other side the Indian Ocean thanks Mark that's brilliant and it's a market that we don't really hear much about in South Africa so it's really cool to get the insights from you thanks again for your time this week and especially at quite short notice 
and uh, yeah, we'll have Mo back next week, hopefully. But Mark, thanks. You you really uh, you really made the show happen this week, and perhaps we'll be able to chat to you again in future. So thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, Cos. Yeah, love to come back anytime and chat uh, Australia. Remember to visit thefinanceghost.com and monos.com for more detailed insights. This podcast was for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial or investment advice. Please consult your personal financial advisor.